Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Once around the park, James. And don't spare the horses. Well, you gotta wonder what Queen Victoria would think of her namesake park in the Ontario legislature that calls it home. Like Her Majesty, Ontario Premier Doug Ford certainly hasn't spared the horses during his first six months on the job. He and his government came out of the 2018 election campaign at full gallop and no signs of slowing down. Welcome to another edition of On the Ledge, Ontario's political podcast with John Wright, CEO of Dart Insight and Communications, Keith Leslie, veteran broadcaster and the former Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press, and yours truly, I'm Dave Trafford, executive producer of iContact Productions, the power of podcasting. This week, it's all about General Motors leaving Oshawa, the Premier's battle of words with Unifor President Jerry Diaz, the province's new initiative to curb greenhouse emissions, and the first Tory MPP to quit the governing caucus. Lots to talk about, so let's get at it. We came off our last episode talking about the need for the Ford government to focus its uh, messaging and to be more specific in its communication. And I, given all that happened in the last week, uh, Keith, I'm not sure they had time to breathe to even consider how they might want to reshape some messaging and, and get out in front of it because, uh, boy, uh, no sooner did we turn the microphones off and the GM story hit the fan and the Premier was up to his neck in it. Absolutely. Uh, and the Premier really... His, his messaging on this one was a bit strange. I mean, he came out strong. He wanted to be in defense of the workers. Uh, he was there for them, and, and uh, yet these jobs are gone. It's done. Uh, GM's moved on. We can't give them billions of dollars they don't want. Uh, so he's accused of giving up on site and, 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 or, or immediately surrendering instead of putting up a fight for these jobs. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he was being realistic, realistic in saying, you know, GM had made this decision a long time ago. It wasn't just the Oshawa plant. There were several in the States that were being shut down as well. But the messaging, again, it came out looking like he wanted to be on side with the workers. But then he got really angry about Prime Minister Trudeau and others talking and Jerry Diaz. And he's calling everyone names and going on about, I'm the only real defender of it. Well, the unionized workers certainly didn't view him as a defender of their jobs. Yeah, by the uh, end of the week, uh, Jerry Diaz talking to the, uh, the the brothers and sisters of uh, of Unifor and just the F-bomb dropped uh, related directly at, uh, at the Premier. Th- this, you know, we're back to who are the people, and if these guys aren't the people, then maybe, you know, Ford's going to have an uphill battle for the next two and a half years. You know, there are a few things to think about here. The first was GM demonstrates again that large corporations like that have no ability to communicate properly. They just don't. Um, All the way from they were giving politician the heads up on Sunday afternoon to then delaying the 10 o'clock announcement. And so there was nothing but speculation out at the plant to the fact that it took 48 hours for them to start saying that they had places that they were going to look to to give 
um, some of the workers there, whether they be mechanics uh, or whether they do job retraining or something like that. Even the fact that half of them, as I understand, some 1300 are fully pensionable, you know, a mm -hmm. year from now. Uh, so like it was it was all botched from there. Number two, I don't think any politician can win on this. Um, you know, GM has decided that they're going to go down the tubes. Um, the biggest complaint was that they've taken lots of money from us and that we've, quote, bailed them out. Well, that was almost 10 years ago. If I co recall correctly, the, the government of Canada made almost all of that money back on the uh, on, on the trading in with shares. But it was during the financial collapse. It wasn't necessarily the cars that were doing badly. It was the leasing arrangements. We couldn't get credit to lease a car, which then made you know, half of whatever they put on the road is leased. We couldn't do that. And so there was that. The third part was just the communication of how the premier did this. I thought when he came out in the morning after on the Monday, I thought his tone was right. You know, and, and I think he was saying, you know, I'm going to try and do everything we can for these people. But then as it went on during the day in the legislature and in other places, he started blaming the carbon tax on all of this. And this seems to be the mantra that they're always going back about and then, you know, nailing Trudeau over it. I really, I really don't think that this is going to last that long in terms of always being the defense for what is happening, especially in the car manufacturing area, where in fact we are changing this marketplace. It is changing to electric cars, and GM's been shutting down plants all over the world over the last uh, period of time. So bad communications on their part, a, a situation where there was money doled out many years ago, but more importantly, just the government's reaction and GM not being able to package this better. At the end of the day, it just ends up you know, trying to blame another level of government rather than trying to stick to the the terms of putting a package together. Yeah, if there was anything that that kind of struck me in terms of how this might have played out, uh, it, it may well have been uh, the opportunity for the Premier Keith to stand up and say, you know, what the hell? Uh, you, you know, we were in good faith here to give you the money that you needed to make sure that we preserve these jobs, and you haven't done that. So, you know, really kind of hold their feet to the fire. At least looked like he was standing up for the money that we spent. Well, exactly. He tends to be, he, he claims to be an opponent of corporate welfare. He doesn't want to see the, the, the government's handing this out. Now, the bailout, I don't think, could adequately be described as corporate welfare, but he could have messaged it in that same way. We gave you the money. We expect you to stay here and honor us with some jobs, not just for the 10 years, but for the foreseeable future. As the business changes, let us change along with you. It's a very productive plant. But to blame the carbon tax you know, this quickly, when again, you've got four U.S. plants being shut down by the same company on the same day, where there is no carbon tax, very disingenuous. I mean, it plays to their messaging, but in, it, incredibly disingenuous, and it doesn't fly. I think the average voter is going, really? The carbon tax already? Well, I, the, uh, the problem there is that, that that was what was coming out in terms of criticism around GM, and then they float their carbon plan. I mean, I, well, I, exactly. I just, just cut that off at the knees. <laughs> well, it was a, it, it's a strange carbon plan. and Instead of taking, you know, the, the cap-and-trade program that the Liberals had brought in was taking $2 billion, $2.5 a year from polluters and being used to pay for all sorts of programs and retrofits, including consumer stuff. Now, there's going to be $400 million in taxpayers' money paid to the polluters to incent them to pollute less. So it's a pay the polluter, not polluter pay. And I know there's a lot more to it than that. 
that's a very superficial view of it, but that tends to be the immediate response to it. It's just a weak plan, although the, you know they can claim they're getting to the the Paris Accord targets, uh, you know, pretty disingenuously, which is a lot less ambitious than what the cap and trade program had done. But well, on the I, bottom line, we're giving taxpayers' money to the polluters. I, John, I just thought it was odd that all of a sudden in, in that announcement they were boasting at how well Ontario had already done in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Well, then that was done under the Liberals. <laughs> it was, but I think one of the reasons you slip something like this into the debate is when you have somebody who's about to cross the floor or in the midst of doing so. In other words, you know, you've got something on the shelf, you might have wanted to introduce it later. I think as part of the strategy, when uh, the French language issue came up and um, their member was getting ready to go across the floor, that they, they blunted her message by throwing this into the mix and trying to get something else. That, that's the only reason I can think that during a week when you've got GM at one end and French language at the other, you throw something in the middle to try and take you know, some of the sting out of somebody crossing the floor. But they bundled that so badly. Yeah. The Premier's office bundled the, the loss of, uh, of Amanda Samard so badly this, it was affordable. Yes, they've got lots of seats. It's not going to change the balance of power, but it was easily avoidable. This is someone they could have been able to bring in. First of all, they made some significant changes after they blundered with their initial announcements about the commissioner and the university and whatnot. They made some significant changes. I think more of a climb down than I would have expected from Premier Doug Ford, quite honestly, and that they weren't able to then contact her, rein her in and say, you know, here's, here's what we've done. This is pretty significant. We can't afford the university. You know that. We know that. What more do you need? I can't see why they couldn't keep her in the fold and message this a whole heck of a lot better. Instead, they've lost an MPP. She's gone to Citizen Independent for now. And they had protests all across the province this weekend. Frank Ontarian spent their Saturdays out protesting this government at their local MPP's office, the Premier's office. Uh, and the only government member that I saw, there may have been more, but the only government member I saw was Sam Osterhoff went out and he brought Tim Bits and coffee to the protesters at his office. And he spoke a little French to them. Uh, but this is an issue the government handled so badly and could easily have, as I say, they can afford to lose this member. There was no need. She could have been brought into the fold, I'm sure. Well, even in the idea that, that they, they had sort of lost control of it when uh, the, the, the premier was being asked, uh, you know, have you talked to uh, uh, Amanda Samard? Well, you know, we called Amanda. We reached out to Amanda. We don't know where Amanda is. And apparently at, the, at that point, she was actually in the legislature. So anybody who wanted yeah, to pay attention. It's the fall economic statement. <laughs> yeah. That's a budget matter. So that was pretty much her signal right there i can't be brought into the fold yeah at the very time he's saying we can't reach her she was like there's like we're watching her live on the screen premier from the chamber <laughs> she's in there right now yes. you want to go ask her uh and again you know that you know the caucus was meeting the next morning going to have a 7 30 meeting to decide her fate and at 7 22 she sends the speaker a note i'm going to sit as an independent mm -hmm. yeah, but I, go ahead i thought a lot of i thought a lot of it was just her immaturity I mean, we've been around politics a long time, and you know that when you've got significant leverage, like she had, you work it from the inside. Now she's on the outside. She's not with a party at the moment, um, and maybe she will move to the liberals, but, uh, you know... It's, it's just not something that she played wisely herself. Secondly, I'm, you and I, we started, Keith, you and I started with this where I remember last week you said this was going to blow up, which it did. But I also said last week, and I'm going to stick to it as well, I'm not sure that this has much impact on them as a, sub, as a sub, um, subjective matter. So, for instance, the, the Franco community 
um, in um, her riding is significant, but it's not in the 905. It's not in Eastern Ontario where the belt is, where they're drawing their votes from. And, and so I don't really see it having an impact on their constituency or their base. Um, secondly, I just don't know whether or not when you are riled up about this and saying, well, Doug Ford is now creating problems for Andrew Shearer in Quebec to try and get his seats, that anyone cares about this. So I'm going to come back to this and say, I agree with you. They made some significant climb downs and that they're still there. She played her cards immaturely and should have stayed in the hunt. Um, but more importantly, I don't think at the end of the day, this is really going to hurt them that much. But there's so easy fixes. There's some real simple little things they could do here. They're still standing in front of a podium. The premier, his cabinet ministers that say, you know, jobs for people, English only. Those open for business signs that they're putting all over the province, English only. Really? What else in this province can you do business in where you put one language on a product? Yeah, and, and I ridiculous. think well, there's a, the other thing too, and that is that there seems to be a schizophrenic circumstance with the government, um, and a lot of it tends to be how the premier handles himself both in the house and then outside the house. Outside the house, he can tell one story and he can be quite reasonable, it seems. But inside the house, there's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of, you know, standing on the chairs, so to speak, and yelling at the opposition on these things. Again, it comes back to what we talked about last week. I don't get a sense that they've actually got a cohesive message and that they can communicate their way through these circumstances. I can only say that I haven't seen any public opinion lately, but I think they're probably, I'm going to guess, they're in the low 30s at the moment. And secondly, they're probably just hoping to be, have the house rise and get the hell out of there. Let me ask you guys about the Ron Tavner appointment as the uh, head of the OPP. Uh, I heard Chris Lewis on the radio and almost immediately after that announcement was made, and Chris Lewis is the former commissioner of the OPP, he said, I like Ron Tavner as an experienced uh, police officer in the, in the Toronto Police Service uh, for years. He, he knows his way around, but he is not the guy who should be leading the OPP. And of course, immediately we turned to the conversation around Ron Tavener is a pretty good friend of the Premier's. Against that backdrop, he's also pressuring the uh, Hydro One board to select his choice for CEO. Uh, those two things by themselves might have been, eh, okay, we can kind of skate around it. Having them both happen within a couple of days, I think is problematic, John. Oh, I, I think it can be. And I think if you take the chief of staff, Dean French's role in um, after the marijuana uh, was supposed to be out that morning and getting on the phone and demanding that the police be called to put people in handcuffs. You couple it with this. You now have uh, not an arm's length uh, apparent circumstance with uh, the one of the largest energy uh, groups in North America where he is trying to influence um, who goes into that role. It's, it's just, it's starting to look like that they don't know the difference between the independence of those agencies and in fact, the political optics that are being played out here. And again, I think that it's a matter of them getting people that they know, putting them in place and paying them a lot of money to do so. But when you get people like Dean French cross the line, when you get them firing the new vice president uh, of corporate affairs at, at Hydro, I, I mean, it it just shows that they're playing politics with all of these agencies potentially. And I think that's going to come back to hurt them very badly. The OPP one, the optics in particular are not strong on this. I mean, to see, uh, I, I was 
shocked, first of all, by ex-Commissioner Lewis's comments to criticize a replacement commissioner, uh, you know, another commissioner. Yeah, he was unvarnished. Probably. He wasn't holding back. I was stunned by that. And then I think if I understood him correctly, his essential message was Kavanaugh is a great cop, a lot of experience. He doesn't know the OPP culture. Mm-hmm. It should be someone that comes up from the inside. I gather that was his message. But it was stunning to hear him criticize this message, especially when it's publicly known that Kavanaugh's connection with the Fords. He's always been at Ford Fest. He's close to the family, all through the the, the problems with the former mayor, the, the, the premier's brother, the late brother. Kavanaugh was, you know, seen to be close to the family during a lot of that. Uh is that an issue to appoint him as OPP commissioner? First of all, he looks eminently qualified for the job on the experience basis, other than he hasn't been an OPP officer. So I think it's eminently defensible. But to be seen to be doing this, then to be seen to be doing hydro, with, again, someone else that he had helped move into that position at hydro when he was working on council. Why would the province be getting so directly involved in these when they can do it more of an arm's length thing and doing it all at once. I think there's something with John was saying earlier, we just will have so much to deal with that some of them will fall by the wayside and just slip under the radar. But the optics of this one, again, I don't know. I, 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 as I say, I'm surprised by both sides. I'm surprised by the criticism of, of uh, Kavanaugh, but I'm also surprised that uh, the Fords would have done something so blatantly and so open at this point. But it turns around this whole, uh, you know, the, the, the chant on the campaign trail by uh, Doug Ford at the time was, you know, the liberals were taking care of their good friends. They were all, that's all they were interested in, taking care of their friends and making them rich. This kind of feeds that narrative, doesn't it, Keith? Well, it's kind of, you are getting your friends, well-paid friends doing this. And you remember, one of the things that, that the Ford government did, even before the legislature sat, after winning the election, was they canceled the planned uh, increases in powers that were going to be given to the SIU, the, the, the Oversight Agency, the mm-hmm. Oversight yep. Police Commission. That, I always thought, was significant at the time. And here we've got a situation, what, what, what went on in Niagara region this week, I know it's outside the political realm here, where a cop pulls his gun on another cop and, and shoots him at least five times, and we're getting the standard SIU response about an incident and an investigative officer, and no one's been arrested. Here's where we need some actual, this is a, a well beyond your average shooting incident involving police. This is a cop pulling a gun on another cop in the middle of a fight. Mm-hmm. People are licensed to carry a gun and one of them pulls a cop on another, or a gun rather, on another one. This is stunning. And to see the SIU, if they'd have had those increased powers, we might be knowing more about what was going on there. I think the public needs a lot of reassurance from either the politicians or the police leaders in this particular instance, and we're not getting it. You know, I, I think... The three of us are really inside the beltway, like really inside the beltway on all of this. So mother and father front porch, you know, probably just don't hear the things that we hear or speculate in a, in a way that we think it's doing damage and they may not even feel it. But I, I think what we can agree on is this. First of all, this week was a train wreck. Um, It didn't carry a message through whatsoever. It was all over the place, and I don't know what they communicated at the end of the day. But I think what we're picking up, and for those who may be listening to the podcast and thinking that we're all in, in the weeds, these are potential landmines that are being placed. These are all things that we've seen as observers of politics that the opposition now is can gain opportunities to go after the government when you're putting friends and and let's remember that we've you know we've got Mr. Devlin who's running the healthcare area uh, and you start putting the chief of staff who's yelling at police and then you put a few more people in place you you've got a momentum that the opposition can start zeroing in on 
And what a government really wants to do all of the time is be on message, keep on message, and make sure that that message is delivered to Mr. and Mrs. Front Porch in a consistent manner. These things are incredibly distracting, and I think it's setting up probably in the spring that we're going to get a whole lot more of these things derail whatever message it is because the minds are being placed now. With that, then let's just finish with a, a thought on on Horvath, because when we started this just after the election, uh, the general consensus was she was just being too, you know, over the top and yelling and screaming and, and it was too much hyperbole in it. My sense of it is that she's backed off a little bit more and she's she sounds to be more thoughtful and, 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 and she's dealing with the second thing that came to mind as opposed to something off the top of her head, John. Yeah, I think she has um, really toned it down. And what that's done is left the Tories in the House and outside to be doing a lot of yelling and, you know, carrying their own message. So what's that saying that you always get out of the way of your opponent who's lighting themselves on fire? Uh, I think the NDP, by, varying, by being very steady in their responses, have let Doug Ford and the government, you know, shout loudly and get themselves embroiled in a whole lot of difficult situations. I think they're doing pretty well, um, and they've probably looked at the polls, which have the the conservatives down, and they're basically saying, you know, there's no reason for us to get involved. That takes it to the other side, though. As I said last week, I don't, I can't re really recall Mike Harris raising his voice. Mm -hmm. I think any of us who spend any time in the legislature, I remember on tough days that the premier would stand in in a very low tone just say what he had to say and sit down and there was a weight that you could feel in what he was doing that's not the case here uh, the conservatives now are the ones who are always doing a stunt and it's not going to help them at all no i i, I thought uh Ms. horvath's performance in the house was better and i thought it was a, a smart move to go out to the gm plant uh early in the morning you know before sun's up talk to those workers on the plant and to stand there. Yes, I know it's a traditional NDP in the union for her to go there. It's an easy move, but it was also a smart move. And given the message they were getting from the premier, which they didn't seem to like, they seemed to like what she was saying much more, which at least was the traditional, we're going to fight for these jobs. We're going to keep this plant going. That the union has to say that at this point, and they're, you know, it's good to have a politician saying it alongside them, the opposition party, when the government clearly has said, no, we've, you know, this plant's moved on. Uh, I, I thought it was smooth and, and as you say, a lot less, uh, of the over-the-top stuff, more direct. Why can't we go after this? Why have you gone out, surrendered so quickly? We should, you know, we can negotiate more. Perhaps that's not realistic, but it's a much more even tone, and it puts the government in the same position of just almost being indefensible in just, you know, well, we're jobs for people, but where, what? Yeah, it, it feels to me like all of a sudden the uh, NDP realized that this is a four-year marathon and the uh, the Tories are trying to sprint their way through it still. Well, one last thing on the on the polling. The last polls we had had the Conservatives at 31%, but the the NDP had slipped. Like they've gone mm -hmm. back down to about 21%. And here we have the phantom liberals uh, with no party status and an interim leader who were up to 28% in the polls. So there's that shift where I continually come back to the governments of the day and say, listen, it's not about keeping your base happy. They have nowhere to go. They're not going to leave you. You got to get the next 12 points. And my sense is that they've They've in that short period of time, the Conservatives have lost that 10 points or so. It's gone back to the Liberals and it's parked there for now. 
Um, and, and we're not going to be too far off speculating about uh, who's going to be running the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to start happening soon because we're getting nominations that are starting to take place. Well, if they stay in second place in those polls, how long before we're asking who's going to run the NDP? Yeah. <laughs> good point. That's a good point. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks. Take care. All right. Take that's care. Keith Leslie and John Wright. I'm Dave Trafford, and this is On the Ledge. Like what you heard? Well, just hit the subscribe button and the latest On The Ledge podcast will land in your inbox. On The Ledge is an eye contact production, the power of podcasting. I'm Dave Trafford. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.